0: Amen, amen. So as I was taking time to think about this week, uh, something happened within my home. And as many of you know, my wife and I, we thankfully finally got a home after over two years of looking. So as you can imagine, we've been trying to settle in, we've been unpacking boxes and taking things out. And it's been a really pleasant experience, other than the fact that you come face to face with realizing that you buy way too many things on Amazon. Well, as we were unpacking one box, my wife took out this little small trophy. And you know, for whatever reason, I've competed in sports through most of my life until I was, uh, until adulthood really, and uh, I never really held on to many trophies. So I was really surprised to find this trophy, and my wife showed it to me, and it, made me smile for a moment, and she said, well, what do you want to do with it? And she was thinking, of course, where do we put it? And I was just thinking, "We'll just throw it away. Now, if you don't know anything about my wife, my wife is a very sentimental person. And in fact, we have scrapbooks throughout the house that have all the particular things that, that signify our history together. She's held on to the first time we got a movie stub, the first time we went to Disney World and were given a ticket, the first time that I gave her a balloon, the first time that I gave her a card. She's cataloged and kept those memories and cherished them. Where me, I look at this and I go... Oh, that's nice, and then I throw it away. (laughs) But what this trophy represents is nothing too spectacular. It was just about five years ago or so, um, I decided to enter into a 5K race, and I took third place. And that was pretty cool at that time, but for me, I've just kind of moved on from that thought. So, my wife insisted that I hold on to this trophy. And maybe it's because she's made me hold on to all of her trophies, that's taking up like a quarter of my garage. But either way, she told me to hold on to this trophy. Well, as the days were passing, I noticed that nobody was in the kitchen and the trophy hadn't found its permanent place. So, while nobody was looking, I took the trophy and I threw it in the trash can. (laughs) And not even a half an hour later, my wife goes to throw something away when I hear her yell out, oh my goodness, how did it get here? And she was very concerned that my son might have put the trophy in the trash. And I said, "Hun, I threw it away. Why do you keep on trying to get rid of it? Aren't you proud? And I said, yes, but I've moved on. So she took it out of the trophy and it was just there again in the kitchen. And just yesterday, I literally saw my son just holding this trophy and walking around the house. And then he would take the trophy outside, and he would walk around the outside of the house. And I could not believe how much he liked this little trophy. Now, why am I talking so much about this trophy, and why am I trying to take time to recognize this? Well, because I think I was reminded by something, at least something that I think can be a flaw within my own life, but in reality, I think if we look at our, all of our lives, we see this similar trait, where it's so easy for us to just move on and forget the good things that have happened in our life. The accomplishments that we've been able to achieve, the prayers that God has answered, the dark times that the Lord has taken us through, and even the little accomplishments of life that make us remember God's goodness. Well, today we're going to take some time to open the pages of Joshua and look at those accomplishments, but not in any particular a person's life but in the whole entire nation of Israel. So again, I open I invite you to open up to Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to be reading today from verse 1 through 9. We'll just be skipping around a bit. So Joshua 4 verses 1 through 9 is we're going to be in today. So verse 1 says this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Now, this might seem like an odd request, right? And if we don't know the book of Joshua, or more importantly, if we don't know the books that preceded Joshua, it's it's hard to really appreciate this moment, to really grasp why God is interrupting their travels and their journeys across the Jordan River to just collect stones from the ground and pile rocks together. I mean, after all, when you think about piling rocks, it's not something that normal people do. Maybe, maybe a child does it, but to take time to just pile rocks and gather 12 stones together doesn't seem like it should be on the top of priorities of what God should command a nation to do. But really, if we understand the context of Joshua, then we would come to know that this moment, whether the people realized it or not, was pivotal for the nation of Israel. It was a culmination of God making good on his promise. You see, years before, generations ago, this promise began began with a person named Abraham. Abraham was given a word from the Lord that he would be a great nation and that his descendants would be many. But as oftentimes as life goes, the picture of what God tells us and the reality that we sometimes experience can feel like two different images, right? If you were here a few weeks ago for Palm Sunday, I preached on this point with the sermon expectations that fail us. And if you don't tune into our podcast, I encourage you to just type in our church name and and, and tune in weekly for those messages. But the Lord oftentimes, and in life we oftentimes, see a different picture of what God might be speaking into our lives and the reality of our experience. Because you see, even though Abraham was promised to have descendants that would be numerous and many, what do we know of the person of Abraham? Well, for one, he was of old age and so was his wife. And there were some obstacles there that the Lord needed to overcome. And if that wasn't difficult enough, you fast forward the narrative a little bit and what ends up happening next. Instead of Israel becoming a great nation, Israel is a subjugated nation under who? Egypt. The people are living as slaves. Is that really fulfilling God's promise? And if you fast forward even more, you learned that God, yes, he rescues them out of Israel, but he leaves them in a place of wandering for 40 years before they would ever reach a promised land. So oftentimes within our life, we can be faced with, The promise of God, but the difficulty of our life circumstances. So when Joshua and the nation of Israel were crossing the Jordan River, the reason why I believe God tries to interrupt this moment isn't because he just wants to give them another chore because you see, oftentimes we see God in that manner, right? We think that God is just adding to our burdens rather than lifting our burdens. But what what God is trying to do in this moment is he's trying to memorialize his goodness. He's trying to help them recognize that he is making good on his promise. That despite sin's brokenness in this world, that oftentimes taints our lives and brings us down darker paths, that God is continuously rescuing us and bringing us to better places. Amen? That's a message we need to hear. That's a hope that we need to have, church. And as we examine our lives, and specifically the history of this church, I think God is inviting us to think back to the history of what's been spoken in this place. What's been spoken in your life. And he's inviting us to examine that and remember His goodness. You know, as I was taking time to prepare and examine my own life in this message, I've often tried to keep journals throughout the years. And I've kind of been a bad journal writer and a good journal writer. Sometimes I'll look at my old journals and I'll be like, whoa, A year went by before I wrote wrote again. (laughs) And any of you guys like that in your own journal keeping, it's a good thing I'm not a historian because I'd probably fail at that. But as I was thinking about my own life and the ways that God has worked in my own life, um, this journal came to mind. And I wrote this in 2012 when I was going through... A really difficult time A disease that I was suffering with took me out of ministry. I was jobless and I had to move back home and live with my parents, and it just felt like my whole entire life was going in an unpredictable direction, and I became so pessimistic in some, some ways that I said, "I continue to try to make plans, and God continues to wreck them." What's the point? And in the midst of this, as a young man who was engaged to be married, I wrote these words. Over the last several months, I've struggled with my call, meaning my call to be a pastor. I've seen people do things that I believe I'm capable of, yet in my own life I'm without a job, and I feel like the Lord hasn't given me an opportunity to shine. After all, I've done three internships and have completed my four-year degree. In my mind, I know God has called me, but I now realize that this quiet time is not just a waiting period. No, it's a huge part of my ministry. I may not be getting paid monetarily speaking, nor giving validation, nor be given validation by man, but the Lord is doing his work. More than ever, I see the importance of being a scholar, being a passionate studier of the scriptures. God's will was not for my former churches or any other job. He wants me to gain knowledge with the freedom of not having leadership in this next season. Because once you're a leader, being a student becomes difficult. In that time of my life in 2012, 10 years ago, I wasn't sure if pastoral ministry was going to work out. I wasn't sure if this was going to be my path. And now as someone who has pastored for a number of years, I can almost look back at that moment and laugh. And think, man, what little faith I had. But the truth is, is that I think we all have moments like that in our lives, right? But because we fail to take inventory of the things that God is doing, we could fail to see his fingerprints. So God tells Joshua to choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. And he tells them to set up this memorial. And I think it would have been easy in this moment, if you were Joshua or any of the other men, to feel like, God, we've been traveling for so long. Could we do it tomorrow? But there lies the problem. We need to take inventory today of what God is doing. We need to have watchful eyes and take inventory of the good moments of life. Because you see, God didn't just make good on a promise for Abraham. God didn't just make good on a promise for Moses and rescue the people out of Egypt. God didn't just make good on a promise for the wandering 40 years uh, through the wilderness into a promised land, God also miraculously in that moment stilled the waters so that the people could literally walk through dry ground and enter into what he had for them. And I believe that the same is true for many of us. That there are still many moments ahead where God is making good on the promises that he has spoken into your life. As well as the promises that were dedicated and spoken into this church. Amen? I want to believe and think of God as a great God who is not done with me Yet. And church, that is a message we all need to hear that whether we are young or old, God is not done with you yet. He is making something beautiful out of your life if you just surrender and take the time to examine His fingerprints. You know, it would have been an incredible miracle to be able to part the Jordan. But I think what is more incredible about this story is just being able to realize that at times in life, it may take generations But God makes good on his promise. Philippians 4.8 says this. And I was thinking about this scripture yesterday as I was asked to end the prayer. And I decided to withhold from reading this scripture in order to share it with you today. And it says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things you see i believe that god wants us to set our minds on the good things of this world and that is in very many ways a command from god you know whether we realize it or not it is so easy for us to become totally captured by everything going on wrong whether it's when we turn on the news or when we think of our own situation but I believe that especially within this season of life that God is calling us to reshape our minds and allow us to be reminded over to the fact that he is calling us to find the good out of, the, out of our lives, to think of the good things that he has done because that creates a posture difference in who we are. Some of us have been holding on to negative thoughts, to doom and gloom, to how little we have versus how often and how faithful God is at meeting our Needs. In church, I believe that this is truly the heart of why we're even celebrating our 35th anniversary, is because it is us taking the time to remember God's goodness. We need to take the time to remember God's goodness. So, Joshua commands his people to set up the stones. And so they go off and they go to the middle of the river and they start picking up the stones and they walk those stones back and they start placing those stones and they make this monument to God. Which, if you didn't know in the Hebrew, the word used here for making a memorial actually means to make a signal. It's this, it's used 225 times in scripture. It's the word off, and it it, it literally means to make a signal, whether it's literal or figurative, as a flag, a beacon, a monument to create evidence, to make a mark, a miracle, a sign, a token. And there we see, at least within the original language, that God wants the people to take time to make this monument. So why? Because we as individuals are prone to forget, but God is faithful to remind us of his goodness. And what's beautiful about this whole entire passage of scripture is God not only does this for them, but listen to what comes next. In verse 6, it says, and this is the heart of God here, "...in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean?" Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial, a beacon, a monument, evidence to the people of Israel forever. And church, this leads me to my big idea for today. Today. And that is this, let your life be a monument to God. Let your life be a monument to God. You see, I believe that this church, that it exists both building and people because this stands as a monument to our community. You see, we even peer out as close as it gets pretty much to the road without us getting in trouble because we are a monument to the road of Alameda that when people pass by, that there is a place that exists here that points us to the cross, that not only points us to the cross, but points us to resurrected life, and I believe that is exactly what God wants for each and every single individual in our church, to live life in a way where resurrection comes through, and that through looking at our lives, we also stand as a monument to others, that even though we may face great adversities in this world, and even though there are times that bring us down and cause us to stumble, cause us to question, cause us to feel low, that ultimately the Lord is able to lift us up. Amen? And that through him lifting us up, we get to do what? We get to be the memorial. We get to be the off to other people. We get to be that signal, that beacon, that evidence of God's goodness. Have you ever thought of yourself like that? That you are a monument? That you are in evidence to God's goodness? Because make no mistake, we need to see more of it. We live in a day and an age where more people need to see evidence that there is a good and loving God that cares for them, amen? The truth is, and is that ultimately, we're all approaching to the future if we have breath in our lungs. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, the future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. Whatever he does, whoever he is. You know, this past week, I, I had the privilege to talk to Pastor Howard, who's going to be coming up for our benediction a little bit later and he was reminding me as we were taking time to talk about our church and talk about the future of our church. He shared the perfect word picture for me and that is of driving a car. When you're driving your car and I'll put this picture on the screen. By design, what's larger, the rearview mirror or the windshield? The windshield because it might just be a little bit more important to have a larger windshield than a rear view mirror, although some of us don't use both. (laughs) And I've been in a situation where I've questioned someone's vision. (laughs) That's why I don't put a Christian fish on my my car, by the way, guys, I don't want people to judge my Christianity off my driving. (laughs) But as I think about the 35 years The challenge that I have for you today is what will the next look like? What will the next 10 years, 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20 look like here at this church? I'm so proud that we are taking time to look behind us. If you were here yesterday, you couldn't help but be encouraged by seeing God's fingerprints over this place. But now the question that I ask ourselves today is, what's ahead? What's ahead? And I think a part of answering that question, it begins by seeing ourselves as a monument. A monument to God. You are a monument to God. This church is a monument to God. And church, I want us as a people to continuously be in that posture. Because I believe that when we are doing that, that the Holy Spirit is contagious. That people want to be where God is moving. Because we are already so fed up with what the world has to offer us. And I believe that as we continue to think about what the next days of this church looks like, I want to continue to hear stories as we've told them in the past of being able to meet people in the crossroads of their lives, being able to help bring health where there is brokenness, being able to help feed and meet real needs in people's lives. And I believe that God wants to empower those kinds of stories in and through us if we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and if we allow ourselves to truly exist as a monument unto him. Amen. Will you do that for me? So what I would like for each of you to do this week as a way of application is to take time this week to identify a story in your life that serves as a monument to God, to tell someone that story. You can write it in your social media account. You could call a friend or whatever you do. Look for an opportunity to share a moment and a time in your life where God showed up, then take time, and I'm, I'm very serious about this, do this this week, church. Take time to pray for our church. Would you do that for me? Take time to pray for our church and specifically ask God what he desires next, not what Pastor Kevin desires, not what you desire, but what he desires next, And how you can be a part of it. Because the truth is. Is that we are all monuments to God together. And I think if we look to him. That image only grows taller and wider to the world. Let's pray. Father we thank you so much. That we get to look to you. And realize that. As we turn the pages of scripture, but even as we turn the pages of our lives, that there are many moments where your fingerprints are there, making a beautiful story even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of questionable times and circumstances, you prove yourself faithful. Faithful. I pray, Lord, that we would use today and the rest of this week to reflect on how our lives can be a monument of you. How we could take the times to take inventory of your goodness and reflect that goodness like a beacon to others. Father, we thank you for what you've done in this church in the past 35 years. And Lord, we pray for the next. We pray that you would would arrest us with visions, with dreams of what you want to do in and through our lives. Father, you're not done with us yet, and I believe that you are calling every man and woman and family in this church to participate in this beautiful endeavor of being the kingdom of God to the world that needs it. Help us, Father, to stay firmly planted in that truth, to truly be a monument To you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.